Welcome to the Wonderful Women of Officiating, Episode 1, featuring Shanae Joy-Jones. Shanae is a charismatic three-year official from Queens, New York, and is a basketball coach who founded Grow Our Game, a nonprofit organization empowering the next generation of young women through the game of basketball. With over 15 years of coaching experience, she continues to serve as a committed and dedicated professional through community organizations in New York City, primarily facilitating and leading efforts to break generational poverty by advocating for our youth in urban communities. She is a mentor to all of her players, past and present, and continues to advocate for girls' participation in sports. Coach Jones was named the 2020 New York Knicks Junior Knicks Coach of the Year and most recently featured in Nike's You Can't Stop Our Voice campaign for her profound impact in the New York City basketball community. In this episode, we sit down with Sinead to learn about how she developed her passion and love for the game, why she chose to play Division Three over D1. We also discuss some of the most common challenges that women face in sports and what male officials can do to drive the visibility of female officials. We really thank you for listening and do us one favor before you go. Have a great rest of your day. Hi, this is Shanae Joy-Jones. Thanks for listening to the Crown Refs Podcast. Serve the game. Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs Podcast, the audio experience for basketball officials. We are excited to introduce a five-part podcast special called The Wonderful Women of Officiating. This series is dedicated to highlighting some of the amazing females of our officiating community and some of the great work that they're doing both on and off the court. I am here with my guest today, Shanae Joy-Jones. How are you? I'm amazing, Paul. How are you? I'm doing great. I've always loved your energy. I know we haven't met screen to screen yet, but I feel like we've built a pretty good rapport and I'm really happy that you're with us today. Thank you, Paul. And again, shout out to all that you do and the great content that you put out for officials, new, novice, you know, like, amateurs like whomever i think that it's it's been it's actually been very very helpful for me um but you know th- thank you for what you're doing with really contributing to the officiating ecosystem as a whole it, it's really really great stuff i appreciate that and i i thank you for being a part of it so i want to hear all about your brand your amazing brand what you're doing with female basketball players called grow our game I obviously want to hear about uh, you as an official because it is an officiating show. But before we get into that, um, just talk about when you first fell in love with the game as a basketball player. Take me through your playing days leading up to coaching and reffing. So it's so crazy because I tell people a lot that like I did not get into basketball because I had an interest. Right. And that's the beauty of it is that I actually got into basketball initially because my best friend, who's now a dentist and practices out in uh, Chicago, has her own orthodontics, you know, office. So shout out to Brownsville Orthodontics. Um, <laughs> I, I just went to these basketball tryouts because she asked me to go. I was just someone that enjoyed playing sports and running around and playing with my friends and being in the playground. And it's crazy because when I think about that time, like my parents could have easily said no, right? But the cool thing is that they gave me permission to go and to explore. And as a result, on that first day, I loved it. And it's crazy because a lot of the girls from from that tryout team, which was for 
our CYO um, team, which again, Catholic Youth Organization, for those that don't know, it was really a great opportunity for us to get exposed to grassroots basketball at a super young age, where it was like exclusively just for girls, right? Um, I think that, you know, certain pockets and Queens and even in the Bronx, they're still thriving with CYO, but unfortunately you're not seeing as much of it anymore throughout um, the five boroughs, which is unfortunate because it was such a great foundation for me. So that's how I first got into playing basketball, ended up falling in love with it. Parents had no clue what I was doing with the game, right? They were just really big into academics, but um, basically ended up working really hard to kind of prove them wrong, right? My dad was pretty adamant early on about how my height didn't give me any opportunity to play basketball in the next level in college. And, you know, again, I kind of am thankful for his ignorance because <laughs> this idea of proving him wrong, right? Like, I don't care what you say, dad, I love basketball. And this is something that I'm pretty good at. And again, um, luckily enough, through my trajectory of playing, it gave me an opportunity to consider division one scholarship opportunities, as well as a number of division three opportunities in which the no brainer was choosing New York University um, as a college that I chose to continue to play and extend my basketball playing career. And it was the best decision of my life. And so again, from there, you play in New York City, you kind of start to, you kind of start to know the officials, right? And you start seeing the same people over and over again at all the different tournaments. And it was crazy because when I got to NYU, I started seeing those same officials, right? And so now we actually built a real rapport with each other. Um, and then when I transitioned after playing into coaching at NYU for four years, again, I was the person calling up the officials, confirming that they were coming to our game 48 hours, 24 hours before. And we had a really, really great service that we offered to the refs when they came into our gym space right at NYU. It really was um, a, a division one feel, right, with, um, with just the division three title. And I say that because now being an official, and I kind of got into it in a weird way too, right? Stayed in coaching, continued coaching on the grassroots level with two various AAU programs with Riverside Church and then with the New York City Gauchos. And I was a Gauchos kid. Mm -hmm. That's where I played in high school. But I wanted to go to Riverside first because I really wanted to try to establish myself, right? And really earn my stripes. And so again, it's crazy because now I'm coaching young girls. I also had the opportunity of continuing my, my, from playing to coaching career at my alma mater at NYU. And there was always this question about the rules and knowing the rules. And so when I, again, my girls started getting older, I was like, okay, I need to become certified and learn these rules because the conflict that I'm having right now on the court, like th there's no reason why I should be having this conflict with the refs because they clearly know the rules and I clearly don't. <laughs> so, <laughs> and you know, it really started like that. It started as a joke. Like whenever we played in the summer on these different, um, you know, circuits and, and here in the city, I used to always joke with the rest. And I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to get my certification mm -hmm. soon. So I, I know the rules, right? Because you clearly are telling me I don't know the rules. I'm going to learn the rules. And so again, 
that laughter and joking turns into me seriously pursuing it after almost two years of saying that I was going to do it. Yeah. And I'm so happy that I did. Really interesting uh, how it led you, you know, being a coach to one to know the rules and, and it wound up leading to you getting certified and falling in love with the craft. Just rewind a little bit. So you were a high school senior receiving division one scholarship offers and you chose to go D3. Talk about that. Well, yeah, I mean, I was a high school junior receiving offers, right? And so, again, I didn't play. And my, my story is very unique because I did not play the summer of my junior, following my junior year, which, as we know, for coaches, right, is probably the most instrumental year for your recruiting process. And, you know, for, for personal reasons and conflicts that were happening, you know, in my household, I was not able to play, chose not to play, ended up working throughout that entire summer. And so when I returned back my senior year, I was still getting placed on, you know, all of these different teams, played in the, the um, wheelchair classic, right? Uh, also was, you know, received all city, all Queens accolades. I think that people were kind of wondering, well, what happened to her? Like, where was she this past summer? <laughs> and again, this is me not really knowing the process and my parents not knowing, nor not really caring, right? Because they were not the ones who stayed at practice to watch me. They didn't have um, the college background to really understand what the process was. And so I was kind of like one of those New York City kids that could have easily fell between the cracks when it comes to sports participation and going into the next level. The crazy thing is I was getting letters from NYU since like my freshman year in high school, but I used to rip them up all the time because I knew that they were division three. Yeah. Right. And so it's crazy because during that time, again, I was in high school from 96 to 2000, 1997 was the year that NYU ended up winning the national championship for yeah. division three basketball. And the year before that, they had actually made it to the final four and had lost. And so again, me not doing my research and being like a 15, 16 year old kid from New York City, like I'm just not thinking about it because I'm, I'm thinking what everyone else is talking about, mm -hmm. right? Which everyone, the chitter chatter is always division one, division yeah. one, division one, division one, division one. And it's crazy because when I actually, after that summer of my, my junior year, did more research, I literally visited the NYU facility probably 20 times went there for games went there for practices like I was literally and I don't even know what got me to do it outside from the fact of knowing that um Lavester Thompson rest rest in peace LT um who actually passed due to COVID early early on in the pandemic um LT came to one of my games at Francis Lewis my, my senior year, and he saw a fight break out in the stands between a kid and a parent. <laughs> and I say this, it's, it's so wild because after him seeing that game, he called up Janice, the Janice Quinn, who's the coach, and was like, Janice, you need to get this kid. And again, I fit the mold for what she was looking for from New York City kids. And I also, again, toughness, speed, athleticism, can play defense. Um, but the uh, played with a lot of heart, <laughs> but, but the other piece was, was that I was actually pretty smart and I was pretty poor. And I say that because I qualified for a program called HEOP, 
And so for those that don't know, HEOP is a program that offers you know, kids that perform well academically, but are actually, you know, at that poverty, poverty level, um, the opportunity to go to college for practically free. And that's why it was easier for me to then start looking into NYU after them coming to my games and seeing me play and really showing that love. Um, and then them telling me that they could offer me a full ride, but it would be through this program. I was kind of like, okay, well, bye to all these other division one schools who, the winning would probably be like four wins every season, hmm. right? At those division one schools, whereas at NYU, we got 20 plus wins every single season playing for a national championship or at least fighting for one every single season. And so when I was able to weigh it out like that, it was a no brainer. Hmm. Yeah. NYU has quite a history uh, of their basketball program dating back, you know, decades ago. I know they've produced some professional players and not a lot of people know as you mentioned, it's a division three program, but it's basically a in a division one kind of feel, you know, they, they travel, they, they hop on planes for their road games, which is really unlike any other D three program. I know I, I've worked games there, numerous games there, and it's, it's, it's a great program. hundred um, percent. So you got your start officiating um, as you sparked your interest, looking to learn the rules. Talk to me about your first year or two coming up as an official. Oh my goodness. So becoming an official one, it was actually really hard. And I'm only saying that it was really hard because I'm also the type that like, again, I sacrificed so much to just take the classes, hmm. right? So I was taking the classes at McClancy. I was working at the Harlem children's zone at that time. And I would take the M60 bus straight across. Once I got towards LaGuardia, I'd have to get off the bus, walk on through, walk on through <laughs> to get to class. <laughs> And then me in class were at least like two and a half hours, sometimes three hours, right? Because Angie was teaching um, the class. And a lot of times, you know, we get into these discussions. And as we're talking about the rules and learning the rules, we get into these discussions and different types of scenarios. And so you actually want to stay because you, you want to stay to keep learning more. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I felt almost like it was kind of like grad school, right? Like I was literally in another year of grad school, but learning officiating and so that was interesting but it was not easy again because you're literally reading rules and taking tests every single class right every single class yeah. so you had to stay on top of the readings you have to stay on top of the rules but you also have to kind of create your own note system because you literally had to be able to then transfer what you just learned into this test and so again once I got certified, though, passed the test, then I had to take the floor exam. <laughs> when I that. tell you I was a speedy hot mess, like literally I remember. And it's so funny because Cornell was there. Angie was there kind of messing with the clock and stuff to, to see if we're paying attention. And, you know, but then Sylvia Ganaway, bless her soul, Sylvia was there. And again, if it wasn't Angie, it was Sylvia. And they would literally have to hold me back, like almost like a wild stallion. <laughs> like I'm running down the court and they're like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> so again, all I was doing was like running gun. Right. Not yeah. understanding that there is pace, not understanding that there is cadence, not understanding anything. And I was literally just blowing the whistle. Not blowing it to put a hand up. Not, well, not a hand, but a fist, not blowing it to do anything. I was just like, 
boop. And everyone would stop and look at me and they'd be like, so. What do you got? Yeah, what's the call? What's the call? So that was that was interesting. And again, um, it was exciting because that was like my my first introduction. And then after that, I was lucky enough again, thank God for Cornell Hampton. I was able to work with little, little young girls, Greenwich Village Basketball League. Mm-hmm. And it gave me a chance to now work on my mechanics, right? Work on my mechanics. Go, and nice so tip. it's so crazy. <laughs> it's so crazy because after working on your mechanics for a long and long and long, like mechanics for me is like something that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it was like, like you just didn't know after a while, like, okay, I'm moving way too fast. Okay, now I'm like breathing and moving too fast. Okay, now I'm slowing down. Okay, now my breathing's a little bit better. Okay, now I have to make sure I'm positioning my hands. It's like, it literally was like step by step by step. But it was fun. (laughs) It was fun. I think you described what a lot of officials might've looked like that day of the floor test, including myself. I just remember first time I got out there, you know, that there's like six refs during one game and we just sub in and out. So I think I came off the bench which I should have at that time because I knew nothing. And the first few whistles I had, they were only whistles. There was no hand up. I, I just could not get the muscle memory to do both. I would blow the whistle and they're like, Paul, you have to put your fist up. I'm like, oh, I'm trying. It's hard. It's so hard. So that was my first experience on the court. I, I totally know what you're saying. Um, let me ask you this. Would, do you think there are some difficulties and challenges that, that female officials may face over males? Oh, my God, absolutely. I think, you know, again, it's, it's, it really stinks, right? That officiating, especially women's officiating is such a male dominated space Mm -hmm. because a lot of the judgments, right? And a lot of the unspoken rules are clearly developed through the lens of men. And I say that because, you know, why should my body type matter, right? Like, again, I've been told many, many times, like I have the look because I don't have hips and, uh, you know, my my frame is, you know, slim fit. But it's so weird to me how like this thought of like, if I have a child and all of a sudden I get hips, does that hurt my opportunities from being assigned games, right? And I think there's one thing to know the game and to, to have the knowledge. But I, you know, again, I, I always hear this, this stuff about the look and the look will get you farther without your knowledge. And that to me is very scary. Hmm. Right. And I'm, I'm only saying that because again, that's like the whispers that clearly isn't what we want to be, to, to be supporting. Right. But I think that again, for men, it's interesting because Nowadays, the men officials of today are different than the men officials of yesteryear. Men officials from yesteryear. Little outward of the stomach. Big bellies and, you know, whatever and this, you know, it's so interesting. And so again, now I think the one piece that I'm seeing a lot more is that more men are having to become a lot more fit, right? And they really, and again, I don't know if that's because they have a desire of moving up or if, you know, 
once they get there, they have to kind of maintain their status. I really, I'm so clueless with what that transition looks like from high school to college. But the one thing I can say is that for, for women, and I think I want to take it even a step further, Paul, because I do want to say for women of color, it is not easy, largely because of our hair, right? And our hairstyles. There's always this discussion about the ponytail look versus natural hair versus braids, mm. right? And then there's also, again, the discussion about our frame. And it's almost like we're policing Black bodies. We're policing women's bodies. And that's just really unfortunate. And so I'm hoping that we can get to a point where, you know, your figure isn't necessarily seen as something that gets into the way of the representation of your work on the court. What can we, what can we as males do to help, help the situation and to help, um, you know, grow female officials in the industry, both on the men's and women's side? You know, it's so crazy. I think there's two big pieces. One is please use women's mechanics if you're officiating women's basketball. Because <laughs> you guys get away with so much during AAU. And it's so crazy because, again, with, now that I'm an official, I'm looking and I'm like, oh, my God, they're doing men's mechanics. What is going on? So they're probably thinking about men's rules. And this is a girls game. This is like a high school girls game, which we should be doing NCAA women's rules, right, with modifications for New York State. So that's one piece that's really, really important. If you're going to have the honor and privilege of officiating girls in women's basketball, right? Use our mechanics. That's the first piece. That's the first piece. Second piece is maybe, right, for those that are assigning for women's games, try to dive into your Rolodex of women officials. Right. I think that's the only opportunity that we can have to be better and to show more representation of ourselves is through allyship of our male counterparts and giving us that opportunity to be able to showcase what we do. Right. Um, I know uh, big game officials. Uh, she does a fantastic Sarah. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, she does a, an amazing job of almost pushing the envelope really far. On a boys game, she'll have three women, Love right? On um, what she assigns. And so I think that that's amazing, but also she's advocating, right? She's advocating, but she's in a space to, to do such. I think that for, for a lot of the, the men, whether they're you know young assigners, older assigners, there is power in showing um, representation of women officials, right? And so again, it doesn't mean that, oh my God, the women, they're taking over everything. No, it's just giving space, right? Giving space and making room to show that the optics of women representation is important, right? I think that's so critical, especially for even young men to see. Um, and so when we start thinking about the implications of what that means deeper than just an immediate game, I think that we can end up creating a lot of opportunity for, for progress in this field. Great answer. Thanks for saying that. Um, Crystal Hogan, a few years ago, made history by becoming the only female official to work in NCAA men's game. A few years later, Amy, ba Amy, Amy Bonner, excuse me, followed suit. I believe she works in the SEC. 
there's a lot of male officials working on the women's side. Why do you think it's taken so long for the female officials to want to start working the men's game? Well, I mean, it's systemic inequities, right? It's the same situation when we look at the way that the NCAA tournament, right, gave $13.5 million in 2019's NCAA March Madness to the men's side over the women's side, right? Like there, there is no sort of equity in that. Um, and the same thing even just this past year, right, currently, when there was a big fuss that went viral over the fact that they were given, the, the women were given a lifting space of 20 pound, 10 pound, eight pound weights and a couple of yoga mats. Not a very good look. That's a big problem, right? And so we have to be able to address that. And I think that it's so interesting because there were women in leadership positions that said that it was still okay, right? And so I think that, again, we have to have the bravery as women and also as key stakeholders in this field to be able to speak up when we know it's not right, right? And I think that the more we can speak up, and it's not about being unprofessional, it's just about showing the data, right? I think that the other piece, too, is that there is a lot of investment in women's sports. Well, not there's a lot of opportunity for investment in women's sports, right? And so again, the same thing is with officiating, right? Like, why are we not targeting all of these young ladies that are leaving from division one, division two, II, division three programs to officiate, right? We already have a pipeline within the Women's Basketball Coaches Association for coaches, right? So if you wanna be a grad assistant, if you want to be an assistant coach, they have a program where you apply, get accepted, and now you go through this rites of passage of learning so much about the business to now ultimately land a coaching position. Why are we not doing this with the same intentionality around officiating, right? Like we, we have to do better because as we know, the numbers are not looking good, right? No. New officials leave out of the sport at such a crazy number right? It's like amazing after three years, I'm still here. Normally, more than half are already gone. They're not doing it. 70%. And so I think that, again, that's that's a bigger piece. But if you don't know the data, you're not going to know how to guide the conversation, right? You're not going to know how to really push for addressing inequity when you see it. In your stomach and in your gut, you know that it might not seem right, but you're not going to say anything because you don't know. Right. So I think that, again, the same curiosity we have as officials and learning rules and trying to execute new rules that come into the rule book, we really have to say we really have to have the same um, intentionality with trying to offer and provide access to women officials. Yeah, I think that's a great idea to help grow the industry. As you mentioned, 70 percent of new officials quit after three years due to abuse from from coaches, parents and many other reasons. <clears throat> So we obviously need help in our industry. And I think a great pipeline is to recruit these division one athletes. Maybe, you know, it'd be nice to see the NCAA kind of get on board and create a program, a feeder system. Nurses doing a great job um, with college officials, but it'd be great to target these athletes, these high level athletes and bring them over to our side. Let me ask you this. What advice uh, would you give to someone looking to pursue a career in officiating? 
Oh my God. So it's so crazy because again, this is still kind of like a part-time dream, passion, fun <laughs> kind of, you know, activity for me. Um, I still don't even know the potential just yet. Like my mentors kind of, you know, they talk to me about all the time. They kind of throw hints all the time. I still don't fully understand what that potential is. Um, and I think that's a really good thing um, because the one thing that I do see a lot from is folks that don't trust the process, right? And I think that that's the bigger piece for those that have an interest in the career. Um, and career is a really heavy word, right? That means you're sacrificing everything to be able to be on the road and just travel and officiate. But I think that, you know, there is this idea of everyone's journey is their own and comparison is the thief of joy, right? Like you need to be able to enjoy your journey and to know that your own experience is completely different than the person that's right next to you at that camp, right? And so it should never be about it being like cutthroat. It should always continue to be about just pouring in support right? And opportunities to continue learning. And that's really why I love officiating because it's, it's always been now such a strong, um, you know, brotherhood, sisterhood, community of learning. And the day that that stops will probably be the day that I decide to take a step back from officiating. But because I've had such great experiences to date in my limited of three years, um, I just continue to have this burning desire to want more and to learn more. But um, for those, again, that, that have that interest, don't, don't look at the NBA ref, right? Don't look at the SEC Pac-12 ref because you're looking at a price tag. Don't do that. Do it because you truly have a curiosity in learning and getting better. And also, again, uh, a desire to represent the game the right way. So important. <laughs> One observation I've made um, in officiating and, and the coaching relationship, it's really hard to do both and be passionate about both. I know there's officials that ref some games and then they go coach on the weekends. They forget that they're a ref. They yell at the refs. We can't take those, those officials seriously. But I just think it's hard to do both. I look at you as a bit of an anomaly because it seems like you have a great attitude in both, in coaching and officiating. Um, my question for you is, do you think as you move up, you can continue to maintain both or do you kind of got to pick one? So it's interesting because I already kind of did right? I chose officiating. This past summer was my final summer of coaching AAU basketball. I had made that promise to my parents five years ago, though. And so that's what people don't understand is that there has been a really strong intentionality between how I approach my career, how I, how I approach, you know, different things that I get myself involved in. And so again, you know, for those that were not in my inner circle, they wouldn't know that, you know, I was done with gauchos because of my five-year commitment. And again, I was there for eight years. But, um, you know, five years ago, I said, okay, I'm going to continue to move up with this group and ensure that these girls continue on and get their Division I scholarships and go off to college. Once that group is done, 
I'm going to officially be done and take a step back to figure out what I want to do next. Right. And so again, three years ago, officiating started to kind of wiggle its way in. And that was only because I wanted to get my girls better. And I did because I stopped teaching them to slide all the way to the sideline and step your foot on the sidelines while also defending. Because guess what? Block. Boop. That, yes, yes, yes. Boop, block, spot, right? Like that's a foul every single time. But you wouldn't know that if you didn't know the rules, <laughs> right? Over the back, that's not a call. It's a push, it's not a call. Over the back is not a call. So I think that, you know, again, I've been super intentional with that. And I'm now in a space where I have my not-for-profit grow our game. And we work on building just the joy and love, right? For basketball. But, you know, our true mission, of course, is empowering young girls to become fierce, amazing leaders through passion, confidence, and sisterhood mm. while also learning the game of basketball. It's amazing, right? It, it, it's, it's picture perfect. They're four to seven and eight to 10 year olds. So I'm actually in the clear for at least a couple more years until I have to make another decision, right? So for right now, <laughs> I'm enjoying the ride. Um, I love working with my young girls, but I also love officiating because again, I know the importance of representation, right? And again, being an athletics director for the last seven years, I for sure know the importance of representation because black women only make up less than 1% of the demographic of athletics directors in this country. So again, representation matters so much and I'm willing to really give it my all to make sure that that's, that's being shown for young girls and even young men, um, old and young, right? To see that, that we, can, we can do this as well. You're doing an amazing job with Grow Our Game. Um, I've been I've been seeing you on Instagram doing seminars, webinars, practices. Love the attitude behind it. Love the positivity. Love the connection with females. Just talk a little bit more in depth about uh, your organization. Oh my God! So Grow Our Game is truly like my my child, right? Um, and it's been a passion project of mine. I feel like I've been doing Grow Our Game before Grow Our Game came about in 2018, um, but now we're kind of like official and I'm not tied to any particular organization, right? I'm my own entity. And so I think that that was important because as I was going through the process of coaching, I started noticing like there were a lot of drop-offs in certain transitional periods and middle school was a big one. Not a lot of coaches are teaching. Not a lot of coaches are developing. Not a lot of coaches are putting time in um, to get their girls better. And now there's been an upsurge in trainers because the coaches just simply don't want to teach. They don't, they don't want to coach. They think that, you know, we're going to roll the ball out, maybe roll, throw in some X's and O's. Most definitely they're teaching presses, right? Press defenses. And it just, it, 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 to me, um, youth, youth basketball in general is kind of spiraling out of control right now. Mm -hmm. And so again, for someone who kind of considers themselves a purist, right? When we talk about coaching basketball, I teach, right? And outside from teaching, 
There's also this special secret sauce that I really don't, I can't even put my finger on it because I don't even understand my own secret sauce. But there's a secret sauce that comes with um, the experience that these young girls are having with me. And again, as I continue to build out my tribe of coaches that are going to come with us on this ride, again, it's, the, it's that secret sauce that makes the biggest difference. And so I was brave enough to say, you know what, once I'm done coaching these older girls, I'm going to actually take a deep dive, almost a, a dive so far into the deep end that folks are going to think I'm going to drown, but I'm going to fool them. Mm. <laughs> and they're going to think that I don't know how to swim, but soon I'm going to come swimming up like, fooled you. <laughs> and so we've really done that with Grow Our Game. And so we have two groups right now, um, girls four to seven and girls eight to 10. That group has been really intentional because four to seven year olds, they cannot reach the rim. Mm -hmm. Eight to 10 year olds, those girls are pretty strong. They can, they can definitely make it and reach the rim with the ball. And it's been just an incredible journey because again, I post, I think that I don't post enough on social media about Grow Our Game. So it's funny that you're like, oh, I see you posting it up. I don't even think I post nearly enough stuff that I can, but a lot of it too is because I don't want to like oversaturate the space because I feel like social media, again, it's kind of like, you kind of, you know, some people put in their personal lives. Some people are put in like basketball. Some people put in highlights. Like I even saw an official's highlight tape. I did see that too. I don't know what's going on these days, but all I know <laughs> All I know is that, again, there are certain things that we do have to document, largely because funders and benefactors want to know what's going on, right? And that's really the only reason why I do it. That and also the optics for parents to want to see and find our program, right? Because a lot of times parents, they just don't know that we exist. And I almost kind of want it to be that way because if we really marketed the program, it's a free program. So if we marketed this program in the five boroughs, like in New York, we'd have like a thousand girls, which again, that's my goal, like down later down the line. Um, but again, we've been able to really take the last 12 months in this pandemic year to a whole nother level with virtual workouts. Um, we just rolled out our phase one for reimagining hoops, which actually are very, very small groups with some serious safety and COVID-19 protocols, the young girls, some of them, it gets a little overwhelming, right? Because they have to work out with the masks. Mm -hmm. But the reality is I don't care because we have to stay safe, mm -hmm. right? So I'm never negotiating safety over basketball. And I think that that's really important. Um, but it's been pretty amazing, you know what I mean? To say the least. And there's so much more that we have planned for the summer. And again, with permits being approved like we got to kind of wait that out but it has been uh, an amazing journey um and you know special shout outs to the awards that we've received so far the campaigns that we've been on to promote grow our game right nike did an amazing and beautiful uh campaign um it will involve us in in their campaign for you can't stop our voice and it was just beautifully made like i can't even explain it, it was just beautifully made and it really resonated with me because it showed the spirit of what the program, what our not-for-profit is about um, through, through imagery. And it, it was just fantastic. So, you know, 
talk about, how, talk about how that Nike campaign came about. They reached out to you. Obviously, they recognized what you were doing in the community and uh, put out a great piece of content. Yeah, I mean, you never know who's watching, right? And so my consistency with my girls has never been anything different than like going to the mats, right? That's that's when I was coaching, even during my times at NYU, during my times with Riverside, during my times with Gauchos, during my time with Roar Game, like my energy that I put into my girls, um, it just is unwavering. And so, you know, word got to the the branding department for for Nike East. And so they submitted my um my program as a submission for a number of other programs that represented kind of this this eastern region that Nike covers and you know Grow Our Game was selected. And so that was huge. And again, they filmed here in New York City. We were able to even do some shoot um some some shots down at my old playground out in Hoover Park. So shout out to, to Briarwood and all my people there and, and Briarwood. Um, and it, again, it was a beautiful piece and it had like 2.3 million views on YouTube, um, which again, filtered through their, their Nike app. So 2.3 million folks, right? Like know, or at least saw grow our game, which is absolutely incredible. So it's a blessing. Again, so much more to come, mm -hmm. but I'm definitely blessing um, and thanking God for, for everything that he's been doing and, and shining for Grow Our Game. You deserve all that recognition. Uh, I'm really happy for you that you got it. And I think I have a player to refer to your program. My daughter is three. Her name's Alexia. I already taught her all the ref signals. She doesn't know anything about basketball yet. I mean, she dribbles a little bit, but um, I would definitely like to bring her down and get her involved in the in your program. I think that that would be amazing. <laughs> and I'm telling you, uh, you know, Paul, it's so funny that you said that because I just went on this like kind of rant about fathers giving permission to their daughters, right? To play the game of basketball and why they're holding their daughters back from getting that introduction. They're so quick to put soccer. They're so quick to do track. They're so quick to do volleyball, but why not mm -hmm. basketball? Mm -hmm. And so I just really want to applaud you because, you know, nothing is, nothing's really different, right? When you talk about introduction to sports, the biggest difference is that those opportunities actually help to transform the young woman that she's going to become later on in her future. And so, you know, I, I think that's great. She's going to love it. And I'm guaranteeing you that just because you think that she's not into basketball right now, I've had every single parent come up to me literally a day in, a month in, a year in. Oh my God, I didn't know basketball would stick, but she loves it. Mm -hmm. Like, told you so. We're pretty freaking awesome. <laughs> I'm looking forward Bring to it. Definitely, definitely. Probably next summer or maybe next spring. She turns four in, um, in the fall. Um, okay. I definitely feel great about, you know, putting her in your hands. Um, you, you're the right person to do that. Thank you, Paul. I, I really appreciate that. And I, sure. that's, that's a huge compliment. So that's thank you. That's going to be exciting. That's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to that. Um, what else do we have? So what else are you passionate about, about um, officiating? Anything you want to say to the dedicated audience of um, basketball officials that are listening? Oh, my God. So, you know, there's just it's, it's not even about passion, but it's like things that I love, right? And I can't say say this enough, but I love 
the community, right? I love actually going to board meetings and being able to talk with folks that I may have worked with in the summer, but didn't see, you know, in the fall or saw in the fall, didn't see in the summer. Like it's really almost like this family reunion of sorts. And, you know, everyone, you know, we all, we all are interesting characters to be able to, to, mm-hmm. to make the decision to officiate. Um, but I really, really look forward to that. And I love when they do their, you know, the holiday party. That's always fun because I'm a big dancer. So I'm always mm-hmm. on the dance floor dancing, having a good time. Um, but, you know, I, I just, I never thought that it would be so enjoyable for me, right? And I think that a lot of it stems from the relationships that I had with a number of officials, right? I'm talking, we talk about, Cornell Hampton, Angela Hallisey, Tracy Towns, Sylvia Ganaway, Chris Kelly, um, Bernard Myers, like Father Ernie, right? Like, holy moly, like I can keep on going on. I can keep going on. Cause I'm only saying that because there was a really, like I just had a great experience, right? And even when I was coaching at NYU, I always had a great experience with the officials. And I don't know if that's because I was like calling them and like they were the ones that were kind of, you know, they're like, oh, well, we don't, we go, you know, we get paid and we're at NYU, so this is nice. But I think that it was, it was actually deeper than that because I also played and I was a New York City kid that played at NYU. Um, and so it was, it was incredible. And even like, I remember Richard Wright, seeing him the first time. And again, when we talk about officials, officials come in all different sizes, shapes, colors, right? And whether they have like disabilities or have different types of other challenges, if they know the game, they know the game, right? And so again, Richard Wright, we call him Shorty Long, right? I, I, do you know, you know, Rich, right? I don't. Well, you don't. Okay. Well, Richard Wright, you know, interesting guy, right? And again, his passion for the game is so incredible that you would never even tell that like one arm was longer than the other or one arm was shorter than the other right because the way that he officiates like he's on it and Mm -hmm. so that's also pretty powerful too is that that representation matters as well right um along with again the sisterhood and camaraderie that i get from other women officials like we are strong we are so strong and you know that support it's just something that i truly love absolutely thank you yeah absolutely it was uh it was a pleasure um, being with you today, I loved hearing about your brand. Keep keep doing that. Keep pushing it. I see the sky's the limit for you. Um, there's some people that you just meet and you may not know a ton about, but I feel like I have a good intuition on on your character, and I feel very confident and comfortable knowing that you're going to be really successful in anything you do. I appreciate that, Paul, so much. Lord knows I need that affirmation today. so uh paul thank you so much and again big shout out to to crown reps and everything that you're doing like from again that pro level to that college level to to high school to even rec um we really need it and again uh the encouragement and the content is is just outstanding and, and grade a you know what i mean like thank you for what you're doing for the game Thanks for saying that. And I and I almost feel a little bad um, because I know, I mean, I'm a male official. I work with mostly men, right? I don't work with a lot of female officials. So, you know, I, most of my guests are on the men's side. And I got a few emails kind of early into my journey 
uh, from females and they're like, Paul, you know, we love the ep we love the podcast, but we feel like we're being left out a little bit. And I'm like, you're right. I, I haven't totally focused on, you know, the female um, officiating side of it. I've always thought of Crown Refs as an all-inclusive space for all types of officials, CYO, um, female officials, WNBA, FIBA, right? But I have to live up to that. So that's why I'm really excited to do this five-part podcast series. And I want to continue to work with more females and, and, and bring them on the show because I know there are females that are listening and they need to hear this kind of stuff. So I love it. I love it. I love it. And again, we are kings and queens, right? So hence the crown, right? There hey, we go. <laughs> look at you tying it all together. Well, I hope to work with you one day. Hopefully this summer we can get some games. That'd be great. You let me know. I'm, I'm a phone call away, man. <laughs> Good. We'll have a great time. But uh, hopefully I'll get to see you soon and best of luck to you. Paul, thank you so much, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs Podcast. Serve the game.